0: Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, Please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hailing from Costa Rica, this composer, songwriter, producer, and guitarist extraordinaire has quickly become a name to know in LA's composer scene. He's worked with Klaus Bedell and used to be the guitarist in Demi Lovato's touring band. He has contributed music to the Oscar winning movie Room, Jodie Foster's thriller Money Monster, Alexander Payne's Downsizing, and he's the composer and songwriter of the DreamWorks animated show Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, which is now on Netflix. And the composer is Daniel Rojas. Daniel, how are you doing? Hey, man. Good, good, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on here. So yeah, I guess we'll just start
1: with uh, you grew up in Costa Rica. What was that like? That's correct. (laughs) Uh, It was nice. It was nice, a good place to grow up. Costa Rica is a really good place to live in general. It's just not very good to work if you want to be in the industry, because there's just no industry, at least at my time, it was very, very minimal, both in the film industry and the music industry. But as a place to grow up, it's quite nice. And you grew up in a pretty
0: musical family too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Both of my parents are musicians professionally. My mom is a classical classical pianist, and my dad is was a trumpet player, also classical, but was doing mostly like band directing and stuff like that. My brother's also a musician, but not professionally. So you were thrown onto guitar first, right? Uh, Well, initially I started with piano, like a lot of people, uh, especially because my mom is a pianist, like I said. So um, I started with her, but yes, guitar was my main instrument all through my youth. And then that's also the instrument that I pursued in college. I went to uh, University of North Texas in Denton, Texas for jazz guitar.
0: Was it assumed that you just like go into working in music or making music a profession or career? Pretty
1: much. I mean, at some point, I think I was probably 15 or so when I basically decided that, yeah, I was going to go for that. There was a little time earlier on that I was still, you know, when you think about being an astronaut and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, once I was a teenager, I basically felt like now it's probably going to be music. And then my parents were not surprised. So yeah, that's ever since. Been the thing. Do you remember
0: if there was a moment before that where just like music seemed to make sense? I know, like being thrown into just like playing one instrument when you're young, whether it's like violin or piano or whatever, sometimes kids like to rebel against those things. And then there's a moment where you discover it for yourself.
1: Did that ever happen to you? Totally. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, there was a, a short time, uh, two or three years, I think probably when I was like eight to 11 or so, that uh, I didn't like music just for that little window of time. I was tired of it. I didn't want anything to do with music. Um, Mostly, I think I was tired of classical music. That's what I figured. And now I love it again. But since I was born in such a classical, traditional music home, uh, by the time I was eight years old, I was just sick of orchestral music and all that. So I just broke out of music, like broke up with music for a little bit. And then when I was 11 in fifth grade, I realized I liked music, I just liked other things. And I started to really like rock and stuff like that. Eventually got into jazz in my teenage years. And then through jazz, I kind of rediscovered a love for film music and all that, and classical again, Mm -hmm. yeah. What were the favorite uh, film scores that you rediscovered? Well, some of my favorites, which I mean, I still love it, but one of the ones that marked me very early on was Lion King. Because at the time it came out in 95, I think it is, I was then seven years old. So it really made an impact on me. And Jurassic Park, which came out one or two years before that, obviously was one of my favorites. And I still loved all of that, even during that time where I thought I would quit music <laughs> when I was little. I still loved scores. I just, I was just kind of tired of like the conservatory type of
0: upbringing. Yeah, it must have been. Interesting having a classical pianist um, teach you.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And Asian too. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Like the very strict kind of, you know, like you'll see it. A... You want to go outside, you have to practice for three hours. Exactly. Had
0: a lot of practice. <laughs> so it's cool that you willingly and like went to
1: University of North Texas to pursue guitar playing. What was that like when you arrived? Ah, that was, I mean, it was great. It was also quite a bit of a shock, both culturally and musically. I think culturally, of course, you know, from very hippie laid back Costa Rica going into Texas is quite a bit of a of a turn. But um it was it was good. I, I adapted and it was a good I was very young, you know, st- starting college. So you're very adaptable, I think, at, at that age. And musically, it was really shocking in a good way because I came from being one of the only people who could play jazz in my circle in costa rica at least of the people that i knew i was like the jazz guy and then arriving in this university everybody was a jazz guy and they were so much better than me a lot of them it was a bit of a wake-up call because you know you come from a small bubble of being in a small town in costa rica where i thought I was the next coltrane or Miles davis and then i get there and it's like oh no i can barely swing like this this guy's really know jazz as you know people that grew up playing it their whole lives so that was that was a shocker but it was great it just got me you know the competitive side of you kind of kicks back in and you really practice and you get back into it so that was in the end it was very beneficial but at the beginning it was quite a shock
0: do you feel like you were the best guitar player in your your area in your hometown and then when
1: you got there it was just like whoa there's all this talent out here Kind of. I mean, I I don't know if I was the best guitar player, but it was a small, it's a small town. It's not even the capital of Costa Rica. And and there weren't a lot. So it was not very difficult to be one of the main guitarists in the area at that time. So from that into a college where there were easily, I don't know, 15, 20 people in my class who were all one of the best from wherever they came from was kind of challenging. (laughs) So how do you go from being a student there, uh,
0: practicing, I assume, every day, doing your studies, and then going out on the road with Demi?
1: Uh, uh, well, that was kind of an unexpected transition. I was not auditioning for touring or anything like that. It was more my teacher knew of this place that were auditioning people, and he thought it would be good to practice to just go and do an audition because it's at the time I was thinking of being more of a guitarist. So he said, oh, you should go there, you know, uh, some people from Hollywood Records, which is part of Disney, are in Dallas and you can just sign up and do the auditions and it'll be a good practice for whenever you go out in the world and you have to do it. And I went and at the time, Demi wasn't very famous, not, not as famous as she is now. And she was from Dallas. So they were just auditioning young people to play some shows with her. And yeah, I just got a callback, completely unexpected. And then after doing the callback, I ended up booking the gig and it was kind of like, oh, wow, okay, This got to figure it out. It was a little bit challenging, actually, not to get too complicated, but because of visa purposes, <laughs> because my visa was a student visa and I had to kind of do it as a, what they call a CPT, which is like curricular practical training, because I didn't have a work visa at the time, but we made it work. It's crazy when like a great opportunity
0: that comes up and then there's some thing that gets in the way of, I don't know, just being excited. Yeah.
1: Something that you're not even considering. I was just memorizing the music that, you know, and trying to play it. And there's always, there's always other, other parts to it. Right. So that must've been an amazing time. Yeah. It was pretty cool. It was, especially at that time, you know, when you're young and all you wanted to do was play, was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Playing pop music is so different to playing jazz or classical in the sense that it's fairly simple. So you really enjoy just the performing. Not that you don't when you're doing jazz and stuff, but it's more challenging types of music kind of require a lot of your attention musically to your instrument and to whatever you're doing and making sure you're not getting lost and you're hitting the changes or whatever it is. But in pop music, it's just six chords or four chords. So it's muscle memory at that point. So you're really just reacting to the crowd, reacting to the moment. And that that I think is what I found very appealing, like it's, it was so different than having to just follow the bass and the drums and making sure we're all in the pocket because it's kind of automatically in the pocket because so everybody can do it. Uh, so during that time,
0: were you interested in scoring too, or was it just like, I want to be a session guitar player. I just want to be out on the road.
1: I just want to be recording. No, I was definitely interested in, in scoring. Like that was kind of always my goal. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. And I didn't think I would get into it so young as I ended up doing it. Mm -hmm. I thought I would just be a performing musician for, I don't know, several years, maybe a decade or so before I would venture into composing at the very, at the beginning. Then as I went through college, I started realizing the earlier, the better, or at least in my opinion, I just thought if that's what I want to do, I should just try to burn my youth doing that because that's when you have more energy, you have more hunger. So I realized my passion was more in writing than in performing. And that's when I kind of decided to just, just start composing. And
0: that means did you move to LA when you decided this?
1: Yeah, exactly. I had already been to LA a couple of times during my time in Texas for extended period of time, a couple of months, kind of like what you, I remember you came here to LA when you were at NYU. That's when we met and then you came here for a month or so, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did something like that a couple times where I would come just to test out the city cuz obviously LA is such a overwhelming city. And maybe coming from New York is not so much as far as big city goes, but coming from Denton, Texas and Costa Rica, LA felt like a metropolis, you know? So I wanted to make sure I would feel comfortable and and that I would like the place. So I came a couple times, but I really loved it. Like every time I was in LA visiting, I was just I was home, Mm -hmm. so it was a no, no brainer for me. Once I was able to do the move, I was just like, this is it. Like I want to be in LA. Right. It was the weather, the whole like lifestyle here and also just the music scene. Exactly. And the fact that there's so many people that want to do this,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, not just film scoring, but film in general and creative stuff, you just feed off of that. I remember one of the things that I remember the most was going into a Starbucks. And then I overheard just several little snippets of conversations that they all had to do with something to do with the industry. And I just loved that because coming at the time I was in Texas still, that would never happen. You would not walk into a coffee shop and hear people talking about scripts and contracts and this audition and this, all these terms that you would never hear. But here in LA it's common language. So it was very, it was like feeding my desire. I remember a similar
0: moment the first week I moved to LA and I was at Phil's Coffee in Santa Monica. The guy next to me is on his laptop with FL Studio and <laughs> I just made some exactly. stupid joke about it. I end up going to their studio and the stereotypes are there and I'm just thinking, like, wow, this is crazy.
1: Uh, just some person I met right at Phil's Coffee. Oh, no way. That's amazing. That's exactly what I mean. LA has that that not many other places do. Do you think LA still is like the need to be place to be a composer? I personally think at the beginning of your career, if what you want to do is work in Hollywood, work in American productions, I think you have to. Maybe not later on. Like once you get to a point where you're a recognized name and people look for you, then you could go wherever you want pretty much. But at the beginning of your career, when you need to meet people, if, if what you want to do is American productions, I think you do have to be here. I think there's no other place. You know, it's not the only way. Now, especially with Netflix and stuff, there's a lot of great shows being produced in Europe and Latin America and wherever, and that's cool too. But if what you want to do is American filmmaking, that's LA's your place pretty much. So when you got here, did you have
0: some idea of like what you wanted to do or like the path to be a composer and to, I don't know, if you had like your, your goals set and so there was an easy way to just go and achieve them?
1: Mm, not fully. I mean, they always, I had read, you know, I I always would go online or on Facebook at the time, which was what everybody was doing <laughs> um, and just try to like see what other people were doing and try to track down how they got there and what kind of jobs they did before and all that stuff. And then I realized I could either be just an independent composer and try to make my way up or be an assistant to somebody else and learn from them and try to go up that way. And I kind of like that one, especially because at the time I wasn't very familiar with the whole process. I didn't know what to do. So I Mm -hmm. thought might as well just assist someone that knows what to do and just learn the craft a little bit better. Because like I said, I went to college for jazz guitar. I didn't do anything to do with film. So even on the music side too, had you done like
0: orchestrations or written out like string arrangements before and all that type of stuff? I had,
1: but at a very minimal level, at a very academic level. You know, I had done like my assignments, but I hadn't been like orchestrating a lot. I already had Logic and I was pretty proficient in Logic at the time I moved here already because I loved playing with it during college. Was that for songwriting, using Logic? Yes, a lot for songwriting and product, like just producing stuff. But also I would do my, you know, orchestral sketches. But at the time I didn't even know the better samples. I would just use, you know, regular stuff. So
0: from there, you you start assisting. And how did that come about for you? I learned it through
1: a guy that I had met at remote, actually. So at one of the times that I was here, or two of the times that I was here in LA for a few months, I worked in and out of remote control, like a lot of people have. And I met some people there that I befriended on Facebook. And then through that, I just saw a post of this guy, Mark Yeager, who I'm still friends with, I don't, I haven't seen him in a while, but he was posting something that Klaus was looking for a permanent tech assistant. And at the time I had only been doing small little day by day freelance jobs with a lot of the guys at remote. So I kind of wanted something more stable and that sounded really good. So I just applied for it and that's how I got into Klaus's camp. And I stayed there for a little bit over two years, I think. Wow. And was that the first thing you applied for too? Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> wow. That I applied for like as a full-time job. I Like I said, I had done little bits and pieces a lot, but, but as a full-time job where I would have like a salary and stuff, that was the first one. And I was also, again, I had to deal with the whole immigration thing. Hmm. So I needed someone to sponsor a work visa for me. And it's not so easy to do that. So I had the benefit that Klaus being German understood that and his assistant Simone was also German so she knew the process she had done it herself so they were they were like yeah yeah we get it and that to me was like such a weight off my shoulders because it's such a difficult thing to explain to someone that doesn't understand it but they got it they were they knew and they're like yeah sure we'll you know we can do the petition you cover the cost but we'll do this that and we'll get you the letters so I just I was like that's it let's just do this <laughs> get it <laughs> over with get me that oh one visa and Get me working.
0: Right. And during this whole time you're still playing guitar and you're you're doing sessions, which is kind of unheard of these days for sessions for
1: (laughs) music. Yeah, I know. I got I think I, I feel I got lucky that I got started in one of the last moments where I could make at least ends meet with just recording guitar and playing guitar because no one pays for that anymore. I mean, not as much, unless you're a top session player, but I wasn't a top session player, I was a young guy, but there was enough work recording-wise at the time, which is a little bit over 10 years ago, like 10, 10, 11 years ago, where samples were just not good still. Samples for orchestra and piano and stuff were already good, but guitar samples sounded like a Casio. (laughs) They were just not good. So everybody was recording guitar, and now you have some samplers that sound pretty good on guitar. And can you talk about those, like those parts that you played?
0: Like, what was the proficiency you think you'd need on guitar to to get through most of that? Well, I,
1: I think one of the reasons why I got jobs so quickly was because I could side read, and a lot of guitarists can't, uh, or at least not at a you know the top guitarists can, of course, but at the level that I was, a lot of my peers couldn't side read, just couldn't join in something so quickly. But since I started classical and I had played some cello and stuff, I was pretty comfortable with just reading scores. So it was very easy to just jump in. And also I could improvise because of jazz, which is also something that in film, a lot of times they just give you two chords and it's like, can you just do something over it? So that's probably why I was able to get some work from other people at the time. And that's, yeah, that's how I paid bills additionally from like, just, just as an extra. And also playing guitar for other people at Hotel Cafe and Room 5 and whatever. Do you feel like you learned a lot during that period? Yeah, I think so. I think all throughout I've been learning different things, but at that time I think I learned quite a bit just to be flexible and just do all kinds of different jobs. So I saw that you played guitar on Jason
0: Veras' record and a Brian Adams song or two.
1: Yes, (laughs) among other things, but yeah. Uh, with Brian Adams was actually a film that Klaus was scoring, mm-hmm. uh, which was a South African film about this little animated dog that I don't think it ever came out, <laughs> but he was scoring it. And Brian Adams was the voice of the main character and the singer. And then we did some songs with him. And at the time I was more familiar with doing songs and stuff that some of the other people in his team. So he kind of gave me that instead of more cues, he was like, you deal with the songs. And I was very excited because he's a legend. I mean, uh, Brian Adams is a legend. So just getting to work with him. I didn't work with him in the room. I met him of course, but I didn't like sit with him to work on the songs, but we just back and forth. He would work with his engineer and record vocals and send them over and stuff. Must've been nice to have that trust, I guess, in that relationship. Yeah, that was really cool. Cause I was young and that was one of the first like big names that I had a chance to work with. And he also wrote a letter for my visa, which was great. Brian Adamson? He did, yeah. Wow, that's... Yeah, he wrote it because he's Canadian. So we like talked and stuff and he told me, he's like, yeah, when you need it, just hit me up. And (laughs) eventually I did and he did it. Wow. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Uh, So you were with Klaus for, for two years or so. And then when did you feel like it was a good time to kind of try to go the solo route of being a composer on your own
1: and taking on your own projects? That's such a hard thing to know. And I was, I had enough work there. So it was kind of a difficult thing to, to jump out of because it was comfortable at the time and there was a a continued stream of work, but I knew that I wanted to do my own things and I didn't want to stay there for too long and just not be able to, to build my own career. So I decided to kind of jump ship, if you want to say it. After I did a series of commercials that I got on my own through some friends, because commercials, if you get them directly, can pay pretty well. And I just kind of got excited, and I was like, "This is it! Like, this is my moment! I got to do it." In retrospect, I might have jumped ship a little bit early, because afterwards, it was it got a little bit difficult for a few years. Which, uh, I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to say, my parents helped me out and stuff to like get through that, because I, you know, the work didn't arrive as quickly as I was expecting. <laughs> once I went solo, but at the same time, now looking from where I am, it all worked out in a way. So I'm like, well, I'm glad I did it. But the, the you know, once I got out of there, I did a few commercials on my own and started getting my own gigs. I did a couple of features, a documentary, but everything paid very little and I had a lot of expenses. So it was, it was hard for the first, you know, few years that I was fully on my own. But then I kind of start building from there and thankfully it's better now.
0: Yeah. Did a lot of those features and just like work even on the commercials lead to to bigger things
1: later down the line? Some of them did. Not a ton of the ones at that time, but no, yeah. On a, if you trace relationships back enough, then a lot of them gave fruit to something else. Like I met someone that through that person, I met somebody else and then somebody else. And that ended up being something that, that was good. So yeah, I think if you go back enough steps, a lot of those jobs are a reason why I'm here today. And do you feel like you, um, I don't know, I guess on Kipo, I feel like you have such a distinct
0: sound to the way you make music. Do you think you developed your sound, I guess, around that time as you were,
1: as you had, I assume more time to work on your own stuff? Yes, I, I think so for sure. And not necessarily as an intentional thing because I never felt like I had the time to just create my own sound. I was so worried about covering bills. I, I would just do any gig and I think that's how I got to where I am now because it just anything that would come up that would be a few hundred bucks, I would say yes and then if people needed to to record a vocal for a I don't know a folk song, I would be like yeah, for sure, I can do it because I had a studio. And then I would just record like guitars and then the mandolins and all that stuff. And then the next day, it would be a rapper and they would need some help tweaking the beat. So I would do that. And then, so just, it was more of a necessity to just pay bills. And the fact that LA has such a beautiful diversity in that sense. I did like, I recorded Norteño bands, you know, like Mexican. I did... Songs in Spanish, in French. I recorded a Japanese rapper, a Chinese girl that that would do like Chinese opera pop. (laughs) Things that I would have never imagined I would ever work with. But just, I mean, my studio was on Google. So sometimes randomly I would get hit or just people would refer me as just a guy that had a studio. And usually they needed more than just a place to record or I would offer it. I would be like, yeah, I could record you for this, but I could also mix this for you or whatever, you know? So I think out of more of that, I was kind of, I had this whole eclectic collection of work that then once I started getting better jobs, I realized, wow, I can really grab a lot of little things from from all these projects that, that I learned throughout. Great. And yeah, Kipo is such a
0: diverse score in that there's Timber Cats with country-ish Uh, music, going to trap beats to classical evil character themes. So (laughs) I'm sure just having that type of diverse collections of things you've worked on in the past, whether it's just recording ensemble, like
1: still probably helped in some way. Totally. And actually I, um, I really think I got the gig sort of because of that as well, because when I was told about the brief and to put together a demo, I didn't have a lot of time to write original stuff. So I just put together a, a demo reel of stuff I already had. Mm-hmm. And I remember sending it and thinking, oh man, this is all over the place. Like there's just no continuity whatsoever I'm sending. Cause they wanted to hear a lot of different things. And the brief said that we want this, we want that. So I was like, all right. I mean, if you want that, uh, you'll get it. So I would send like a rock song, a country thing, a children's music, a couple orchestral things, huge like trailer tracks. It was all over the place. It was like 10 tracks that had nothing to do with each other. And I just sent it and I, I thought I would blew it because I was like, oh man, they're not, this is just not going to work out. But they loved it because of that, because they were like, oh, this is what we need. We need someone who could just do all kinds of different things for this one project.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, I think that's how, how it all happened. So it, yeah, it worked out. Yeah. And can you
0: talk a bit about, I don't know, so I guess in between that period before landing Kipo, You had some pretty cool stuff on your resume. I mean, you've been slowly grinding and making a name for yourself. What do you think was the trick to just persevering for so long before landing like this really cool scoring gig?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I did. I I had really cool, some really cool opportunities throughout those years. Like I said, I was just hustling all over the place. And some of those ended up being really cool opportunities. Some that I can think of. One of the main ones would be Room, just because at the time where I where i sent send the music for that, it was just a very small indie film by A24. And no one was famous. Like the director wasn't famous and Brie Larson wasn't that famous. I remember they told me it was the sister of Amy Schumer in Trainwreck. <laughs> that was her biggest credit at the time. She was not Captain Marvel. She was nothing of what it is today because that movie made her get to what she, where she is today. But just seeing that film come from nothing to becoming an Oscar-winning film for, for her was pretty amazing. But in general, I think the key was just meeting a ton of people and just having people know that you're around, that you can do different things, and that you're easy to work with and responsible. And that just kind of, you know, I would just get recommended by a lot of them. And then there's a guy I also have to thank for a lot of those gigs in the meantime, that is a music editor, Richard Ford, who I think you've met a friend of mine. Because Richard recommended me to a lot of cool gigs that are on my resume, like Downsizing or Money Monster and even Hidden Figures, which is not on my IMDb because in the end, it was a very small thing. It was just like an organ thing, but I had a little a little thing on Hidden Figures as well. Who And all of those were jobs that he was the music editor and he just needed someone to just do something, I don't know, like put a fire out and then he would give me that opportunity. So A lot of those came through people like him.
0: Yeah, I mean, even those examples you listed, they're all so different too. So it just speaks to your diversity musically. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Well, it's time for Tech Talk. This is a segment where I list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it. Okay, cool. First one
1: is uh, what dot do you use? Mostly Logic, but I love Ableton as well for just creative ideas. It doesn't work well to picture, but I like it a lot.
0: What would be your one electric guitar? you take out of a burning studio?
1: I uh, Stratocaster, like a classic Strat, but funny enough, I don't have one. I do have a Strat, but I don't have like a classic Fender Strat. I have a Suhr Strat, which is fantastic. I love it. I love Strats. I love Talies. I'm generally a Fender lover, but I've, you've been to my studio. I have a lot of guitars and I, I love guitars. I have a, you know, a PRS, I have a Music Man, like the Vince, St. Vincent style, um. Gretsch, Tele, Strat. Oh, and then I have this Yamaha that I showed you last time. That was, it's really cool. It's, it's cheap too. It's like 600 bucks, but I love it. I use it all the time. It has P P90 pickups and it has this like really rocker sound. Nice. Uh, what comes to mind with drum programming? What comes to mind with drum programming? Hmm. Excellent audio. Maybe I love, love their stuff. Their samples are some of my favorites. Uh, machine. Battery, and I guess Ableton, and Splice. <laughs> no, that's not programming. Never mind. That's no, loops. that's fine.
0: Well, Splice was actually the next thing on the on the list here.
1: Oh, just thoughts on Splice. Just thoughts on Splice. It's a love hate. It's, it's really good. It's you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have the same tastes. So when you find something that's good. It's likely to appear in a lot of places, <laughs> so that that's the thing. But right. you probably have to go to like the least co- or least downloaded
0: sounds to find your unique
1: sound. It's true, but they're usually they're usually shitty. You know that's yeah. why the people don't love. I try, but at the same time, it's like the best samples that you find or the best loops. As soon as you're like, oh wow, that's really cool, then you start hearing it all over the place. <laughs> it's like okay, so other people thought it was cool too, but. I, I do use it. I think it's a great tool. It's it's just you know it's 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 just it's cool that it it's always updating and it's it's kind of similar to arcade in that sense that it's just there's always new things and it's like an an extra level of just adding stuff to open up your ideas. And yeah, the last thing I have here is
0: uh, can you talk about the story of or the resume even of your upper piano? Oh, my
1: upper piano is more famous than I am. <laughs> it's uh, well. I I got this piano maybe eight years ago or something at a store in Burbank and it's a felt. I put a felt on it that it already had a felt, but I had it replaced by a thicker felt and it has this really felt piano sound and it's been sampled a lot of times, particularly by Output. So Output sampled it initially for Rev, I think it was, or Signal, one of their earlier plugins. I think it was Signal actually. My friend Sai came over and sampled it at my old studio. And then they've used those samples all over the place in subsequent releases of all kinds of stuff. So it's just been all over the place. And then I've, yeah, I, it's been on Coldplay songs. It's been on The Weekend tracks. It's been on Khalid. So yeah, and I, can, I could keep going. I don't even have the list with me, but I know the the sound of the piano has been all over the place and it's sitting right here, which is pretty cool. Where can people hear your music? Right now, Spotify is, uh, sorry, the soundtrack for Keepo is on Spotify and Apple Music. So if you just look Keepo on the Age of Wonder Beasts, that's my latest release. So that's there. Honestly, lately, that's probably the main thing that has been released because I've been working on that for two years. So haven't really had the chance to do a lot of other things. And then in a, in a few months, I think early fall, my my new show will probably come out. Amazing. Well, congrats. Thanks. Daniel, thank you
0: so much for taking time to be on here. Yeah, dude, that was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.